This podcast brought to you by TechSmith. More A3 is software that helps you see things from your customer's point of view, so you can make things that are truly fast, powerful, and easy to use. By BlackBot, making the world a better place by providing technology solutions and support to nonprofit organizations around the world. By Optimal Sort, with an elegant user interface, powerful analysis, and outstanding support, Optimal Sort can help you run card sorts better than you ever thought possible. By PowerMapper, mapping your site has never been easier. PowerMapper extracts links from each page of your site until it's mapped your entire site, providing you with a complete inventory. By Axure, enabling information architects and user experience professionals to design efficiently, experience their designs, and clearly communicate them, ensuring more useful and usable applications. And by Boxes and Arrows. Since 2001, Boxes and Arrows has been a peer-written journal promoting contributors who want to promote thinking, push limits, and teach a few things along the way. For other events happening all over the world, be sure to check out events.boxesandarrows.com. In the first part of our series, Getting a Form Structure Right, Designing Usable Online Email Applications, India's Afshan Karmani and I talk about the overarching concepts of affordance, orientation, and chunking. Looking at examples from Yahoo and Google, we discuss the ideas of wayfinding and trust to ensure anyone can easily find their way through the registration process. As well, Afshan reviews the framework from our article about the importance of the usability practitioner to focus on the mental model, experience, and expected outcome of the user in designing usable online email applications. Many thanks to Afshan for taking time to join me today, and I hope everyone enjoys the podcast. Cheers. Quoting from your article, Afshan, you say that in the first part of the series, you focus on uh, the basic issues that a usability practitioner must address to create a usable web-based email forms, including uh, the broader concepts of affordance, orientation, and chunking. Um, looking at how moving forms from paper to online was supposed to be making our lives easier, easier, pardon me, you argue that this transition, for the most part, has been unsuccessful, noting several key elements. And the first of these talks about entry points and how they, quote, must be clear and appropriate to the specific needs of the users. Uh, can you elaborate a little bit more on this this aspect of your article? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I find that while creating online web-based forms, uh, we usually fail to look at what is essentially needed by the end user. Um, the outcome of having to provide the form is definitely achieved by us, but a good entry into the form is the challenge here, Jeff. Um, if I look at it, I see two aspects to this. Um, for one, an entrance into into a form is determined when you look at the form in relation to uh, the entire website structure. For example, if you're taking users through a credit card application form, you'd obviously want to place it under the credit card section of the website at a at a visible location rather than having um, um, it as a link which which is then lost under a paragraph of information. And and I've seen this happening around us. Secondly, I also do believe that um, before you push users into the form, you might want to mention the online benefits, the ease of um, filling out the form online rather than having to go through um, the entire paper-based form. Um, I was just looking at one of our readers' comments here, Rajat. He mentions that it would be a good idea to place the first two to three fields of the form on the home page itself. I think, I believe, LinkedIn does this well. So uh, this definitely acts as a good entry point, depending on your context, obviously. 
Yeah, and it's interesting too, you know, um, looking at, uh, in my, my experience is talking with other executives and, and baby boomers, and I know this uh, this may not have been the context in which you intended, but it's just uh, part of your article when I was reading it, uh, you know, I was looking at this idea about you're talking about um, you're almost you're almost providing a, sort of a background on other email services and the, the services that they offer. And in a way, that that kind of promotes the other email services. And, and I've talked to other baby uh-huh. boomers, and they sort of question, well, why why would I promote another company's service that I'm competing uh-huh. with? Actually, I love this question. Um, maybe I should have specified this a little further in my article while I was writing it. Um, you would like to take um, this point into consideration if your service or product is better than the rest in the industry, meaning to say that um, you have a competitive edge over the others uh, that you would like your end users or customers to see. For, for one, you might not have uh, yet placed your foot into the market as yet, but um, you might want to create a niche comparison for yourself which would eventually act as a unique selling proposition for you. For example, if you, if you look at, let's say, Gmail, you, you can see the unique features that could be compared with the rest in the industry. Again, I was just looking at one of the comments in the article. Uh, Anshuman, I believe, mentions that Google changed the game with huge space, anti-spam, search, unique inter- a unique interaction model, labels instead of folders. Um, yeah. Now, if you uh, if you compare these features with your competitors, you would definitely stand out in the market because you have filled a gap that nobody else has provided in the industry. So this brings me back um, to an advertisement that we have in India for Sprite, the drink that's sold, right? So um, you've got to say it with me, Jeff. You have to say it with me. So the slogan <laughs> goes like, Sprite, Bujai, Piyas, Baki, or Bakwas. Sprite, Bujai, Piyas, Baki, or Bakwas. Perfect. <laughs> um, again, which when translated means that uh, Sprite does nothing else but quench your thirst, you know. So Coca-Cola, I feel, definitely uh, tried to hint at competitive products out here. Personally, I believe that this was one, this was a perfect comparison. While uh, while competitors played their ads around fear, adventure, and power, uh, Sprite, on the other hand, went ahead and uh, just sold one line, you know, freedom from thirst. That's all it does. There is no power. There is no, you know, um, Fear involved, you know, you have all these ads basically revolving around power and fear. So Sprite did nothing of that sort. It just said, you quench your, it, it quenches your thirst and that's all that it does. So I, I, I really liked um, this ad and basically the comparison and the competitive edge that it was trying to achieve in this ad. You also talk a little bit about, uh, there's a number of issues that you talk about under this concept of affordance. Um, and mm-hmm. uh, looking at, I've tried to compile both of them into two ideas of trust and wayfinding. And uh, starting with the first one around uh, around trust, I think it's become a major in- in- issue, excuse me, for individuals uh, when signing up for any web service, uh, especially email. Um, considering organizations are asking for your personal information, and uh, you mm-hmm. outline some key factors that communicate clear messaging and allow the user to understand uh, why the process of filling out the forms are necessary. Um, and you've talked a little bit about online benefits. Um, and uh, but some of the other things you talk about are, are uh, for example, security and taking a tour. 
I've, I think I've mentioned this earlier. I think I was just talking about online benefits that uh, definitely act as a pushing agent towards the next step, Jeff. So um, when users know what lies ahead of them, this trust factor is taken care of automatically. Security, as you mentioned, is, is an agent that helps you uh, through this trust. Um, helping users take a tour uh, around is another push. An, an overview of the form, as again mentioned by you, and, and the overview uh, talks about what happens after the, you know, you basically need to mention uh, what happens um, after the user submits the form. Um, so this helps in building trust. Um, again, if you look at language aid, that's another boost as well. Uh, I was just looking at Caroline's comment in the article, Jeff. Okay. She talks about a relationship that is developed through a course of an interaction. This is a true example of trust. So I believe that relationship building and trust definitely go hand in hand. Um, if we place our application uh, against Google Analytics, we, uh, we get to see exactly how many people drop out halfway through the web-based application. And you can determine the actual level of trust through this. Yeah, absolutely, and and um, and you know it, it's interesting trying to find your way um, around the form is also mm -hmm. important. I mean, once you've established the trust, um, along with the uh, the importance of a consistent design, you also talk about um, walking the person uh, through the process or the user's path. Um, can you talk to about uh, the importance of the this idea around the concept of wayfinding when you're when you're working with form? In particular, um, the one the one point that I found really interesting and important. Um, because uh, is the idea of being able to save and continue. Because you know, you notice at the uh, you know at the beginning of your article actually, you say that you know uh -huh. in the modern family where we're often both parents are working full time and the children are involved in many after school activities. People may only have a few minutes to spare on an important task during the day, and it's the internet that supposedly helps people achieve this. Um, but with right. long, drawn out application processes online. Uh, if you don't have the ability to save and continue, um, you know people may just go and look for for other for other applications or options for themselves. I'm loving this topic of wayfinding because, as an information architect yourself, this definitely seems dear to your heart, Jeff. Um, yeah. One one of the basic ingredients, I believe, of wayfinding is the user's next step forward. So whether it's a link or a button, we need to provide the next step soon after we convey it. I remember, um, I remember a friend of mine took me to, um, I mean, took me shopping at a mall in San Francisco. This was a few months ago. So basically, I just like to narrate what happened when I went there. Um, there was, an, as soon as we entered the mall, uh, we obviously we we like to we like to move through the floors, right? So uh, I couldn't see any escalator in front of me. So I think you know I was wondering, okay, so is there an escalator, or do we or, or do we need to use a lift around? So anyway, so basically there was an escalator, but you need to walk through several number of shops before you find the escalator. So this happens on each and every floor of of you know of the mall. Um, I definitely believe that that the architect had a sure point to make out here. He, he's, he, you know, he had he had a plan drawn out before he obviously designed the building. But, but, um, but I believe that wayfinding was compromised out here. So, so the architect would have definitely thought that you know he or she wanted people to look around the shops. You know, this is this is what they call promotion, right? You look around the shops before before you access an escalator. But then again, wayfinding is compromised here. 
So um, <laughs> I was just trying to imagine that, imagine if there, if there were a fire to take place at that mall, you know, God help the people um, out there. You know, I, I, I just couldn't stop thinking of this when, uh, when I was out there. So um, anyway, coming back to the point, Jeff, if you look at Google's example provided, the benefits are stated clearly, yeah? But um, after looking at the benefits, the user would want to register, or rather, you would want him to register. So providing the next step soon after the benefits would, would be ideal, Jeff. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I love your mall analogy. Um, I actually, um, as a typical guy, I hate shopping with a capital uh -huh. H. And from an interaction <laughs> design perspective, I've always noticed it's kind of funny that they put the park benches in front of all the women's shop, in front of the women's stores. So the guys have a place to sit right. on uh, right. Anyway, that's uh, that's uh, that's just a little uh, a little uh, yeah, bit of my opinion. <laughs> mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah, and and I was just thinking of some other examples of wayfinding that um, include an overview of what lies ahead in the form and what what happens after you click uh, after you click on submit. Again, online help um, is is another is another aspect, language aid, and also providing, as you mentioned, providing a save and continue button to help users come back to it when needed. Yeah. So, but actually speaking, I don't see the malls um, in India. If I think about it, I I do see a lot of benches and you know a lot of eating joints just you know um, in front of uh, in front of you know shop in front of the shopping area, but the park benches, I think I need to notice that the next time, yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. And, and related to this idea of being able to save and continue, uh, you talk a lot uh -huh. about, um, around this concept of orientation, uh, you talk about the form title, but you also talk about uh, how many forms have a progress indicator. Um, but you know uh -huh. that it's, uh, the progress indicator in particular is an important factor in its usefulness. Can, can you explain a little bit about that? Yeah, um, the progress indicator is um, um, basically just basically tells you where you are on the page and where you uh, what what lies ahead and how much of the process is left. So I see um, several several um, aspects of a form that you know uh, place this progress indicator on the left and the right of the form. But but in my opinion, I feel that you know it, placing it in the center is is what is ideal because because that's where you, when users come and that's where they look. So uh, anyway, a progress indicator should indicate visually the number of steps that are included in the form. Um, if if it's a way of telling people that you have two more steps to go, um, it's a way of basically telling users, hold on, you know, that there are a few more steps to go, so, so hold on. It, it should also mention the details of that particular step, Jeff. For example, um, um, it, you might be on step one filling out personal contact information. Step two might be filling out official contact information, let's say. So visually, it should say step one personal contact information. Then when you go to step two, it says official contact information. I usually, when I don't see both tied together. I usually just see, you know, just see it provided as step one or step two. It doesn't mention what exactly goes, what exactly comes under the umbrella of step one or step two. Yeah, exactly. And part of your article, too, that speaks to this, and I'm quoting here, you know, that more than 60% of web-based forms uh, that you've encountered add in extra steps along the way. One's not included in the progress indicator. Uh, and mm -hmm. I think this speaks really well to what you were just talking about about this idea of, of progress feedback. You always want to you always want to let the users or the people, pardon me, know exactly where you are, where they are in the form, and to give them feedback that they're getting closer to the end, sort of thing. 
Oh, it's true, Jeff. Like I, I've, I've witnessed that first you find uh, find it tedious to fill out a long, drawn-out form. Then you're pushed into it with more fields, one that you don't even encounter at first glance. Let's say you have a field that helps you put in your contact number. As you're entering your number, you witness another text box that opens up asking for a home telephone number as well. You know, that's extremely frustrating because you don't have the feedback up front. You don't have it um, given to you right there while you're filling it out. You know, it just pops up and, and gives it to you. It's a delayed feedback, basically, which, which is not done. Right. Exactly. And, and you also talk about uh, the last major element that you talked about in your article in part one is this concept of, uh, of chunking, um, mm -hmm. noting that uh, when creating use, usefully more email form design, pardon me, uh, you say that people perceive information more easily when related parts are grouped. This increases users' efficiency and reduces reading effort. Uh, chunking information into related parts helps users better understand information to navigate more effectively. And specifically, you point to, to a couple of ideas around the concepts of, of headers and labels. Can you talk a little bit about more about that? Uh, yes. Um, as shown in the example provided, Jeff, you see Yahoo and MyWay uh, do a good job of this, you know. They chunk. Chunking is basically a term used in, in, in cognitive psychology, you know, when, when you chunk pieces of, of information. But rather, if I would rather say grouping information under clear headers and labels, making it so much more easier for users. Thinking about, um, I was just thinking of a real life example here. If I, if I look at an example, I would say that even when we shop for groceries at a store, we like to see clear labels that read, you know, if you're in front of, a, in, in front of dairy products, you'd, you'd, you'd want to see a clear label in front of you reading milk products, you know, or dairy products. And, and if, you, if you're in front of vegetables, you would want to see the label saying vegetables or even fruit, you know, whichever, wherever you are at the store. Okay. Yeah. Absolutely. That makes that makes totally sense. Total sense. You don't want to see dairy products in the vegetable section, for example. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> and another under the uh, the last the end of your article actually provides a a brilliant graphic actually summarizing uh, your entire article, um, you, um, which um, we'll provide in the show notes as well. So if people want to visit the show notes page on Box and Arrows. Uh, that talks about the, the usability practitioner ensuring that the form structure accommodates uh, a three elements, uh, the user's mental model, uh, experience, and expectations. And, and maybe you exactly. could uh, elaborate on that model a little bit for our listeners. Um, yes, Jeff. So um, in the model, I was trying to explain that a practitioner is influenced by, by, um, by what users believe and do, right? So the user's experience can be positive or negative, you know, that's in the in the in the model you can see a cross and a tick there. So the user's experience can be either positive or negative, depending on the interaction between these mediums. So um, again, looking at one of the comments uh, in the article, I see Mariana. I hope that's how you pronounce her name. Um, she commented that. A developer also plays a vital role in the entire process. I do intend to stress on these aspects in the next part of my article, which um, which focuses on, on the designer and the developer in specific. Uh, it has a lot to do with uh, each element of the form, like text boxes, drop downs, layout, segmentation, and even consistency. So um, yeah, so have I got this model right? I mean, have I have I explained it right, Jeff? I mean, is that clear? 
Oh, absolutely. I mean, my understanding of this is you look you look at the mental model, the experience, and the expected outcomes, and, and if you do those appropriately through, you know, the domain knowledge, usability reviews, and testing, uh, the outcome for the user can either be positive or negative, depending on whether or not the, the creators of the application uh, address those those three key elements. Is that about, is that a, am I clarifying that properly? Right, right, exactly. Excellent. Excellent. Well, Afshan, I, I really thank you very much for, for both the birthday wishes and for taking the time to talk with me on the podcast, and, and I hope to be able to connect with you again when you finish part two of this, uh, of this great article series you've created. Definitely. Happy birthday again, Jeff. Thank you, Afshan. Take care. <laughs> Take care.